Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, so this morning in 2 Kings, there's this, this cool passage, and it's crazy because the word that Mark brings this morning is so good um, for this message. It's also so good for an election year. Um, a good friend of mine was reminding me this week, a friend who um, oftentimes votes a little differently than I do. And uh, how many of you know you can be friends with people who vote different than you do? <laughs> Y'all know you can go to church with people who vote different than you do? Just saying. And uh, so we were talking at lunch with a mediator, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about um, this being an election year and how just divisive that is for the house of God, unfortunately, tragically. And, um, and I want to commit to you um, that we, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to wave political banners in here. Um, we're going to wave Jesus banners in here. All right. And, uh, and, and I commit to you, not as a pastor, but as a person, as a leader, as somebody who has to stand before the Lord one day and answer for influence, just like every single one of us. I commit to you that I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to soften any blows. I'm not going to talk about things more or less uh, for any agenda other than what the Lord puts on my heart. Um, so that, that, what that is at the end of the day, that is love. And, and you might not be able to receive it as love in the same way that sometimes when you love your kids, they're not thinking about it like it's love. You know what I'm saying? Um, but we're going to talk about truth in here, and we will over the course of this year and probably as things get closer. Um, there will be things that get awkward for folks who vote on both sides of the aisle um, because that's what Jesus does. He makes things awkward for us. He makes things uncomfortable for us. He makes things chafe a little bit to get to the heart of why we're doing what we're doing, of why we're filling in whichever circles in we're filling in. So, so don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. Don't get offended and leave. Here goes Estelle, already offended. There she goes. I'm just messing with you, Estelle. I love you. She spent all week uh, cooped up on a cruise ship, and now she's got to get out. You want to do a couple of victory laps? Or? So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I love you and you love you. We all love each other in here. That's the kind of church we are. Um, and so like, let yourself be uncomfortable. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 9 is uh, the story of a man named Jehu. And Jehu, uh, some of y'all are like, Jehu? Um, Jehu doesn't necessarily get a ton of press, but he has in the prophetic ministry of this church in the last season or two. And so I've received a lot of really interesting prophetic words from um, uh, folks who are super anointed in that area in this house. And uh, just, I don't, I'm never the guy that's like, as soon as I get a prophetic word, I got to preach on it the next Sunday. I'm never that guy. It's kind of like, all right, I'm going to sit on this. I'm going to see what the Lord has to say about it. I'm going to see what bears witness to me. And then um, if the Lord won't leave me alone with it, then it's time to bring it to the house. And so this has been one of those things where um, I believe that the Lord wants to say a lot here. In fact, so much that it's probably not going to be one message. It's probably going to be uh, a couple of messages. And today, we're going to talk about one specific thing regarding Jehu, and that is his anointing. Um, just the anointing of Jehu, there are parts of it that look like, well, anytime in the Old Testament when somebody, you know, 
prophet comes along and anoints somebody. It kind of has some similar some similarities. But we're going to be looking at it in the context of where Jehu was and what he was doing and why. And as we watch the anointing on his life um, play out, I believe that there are a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities in the area of what he's calling um, his church to today. So with that, I'm going to just begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Now Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Gird up your loins and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you arrive there, search out Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and bid him arise from among his brothers and bring him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, Thus says the Lord, I have, an anoint- I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not wait. If you're reading from the NLT, it says, Then run for your life. That's literally what it says there. And now you know why I don't read the NLT. I'm just kidding. So the young man, I mean, I do, because obviously, because I, I, like, I just quoted it. So the young man, the ser- I just thought it was funny that it says that. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And verse 5 says that when he came, behold, the captains of the army were sitting. And he said, I have a word for you, O captain. And Jehu said, For which one of us? Because it's like a captain's table. You know what I'm saying? They're all sitting there. It says, for which one of us? And he says, for you, O captain. So he, meaning Jehu, arose and went into the house. And he poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. You shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free in Israel. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. Uh, some of you guys are like, man, we had so many nice messages about Jesus right in a row. You know, that whole, he's our shepherd, and he comes to bring a life abundantly. And, uh, and I, I hate this for you because some of these Old Testament rated R sort of graphic messages are hard. Um, but fortunately for you, um, this, uh, we're not going to get into that much of that story. What's important to understand here is that as the prophet relates to him, not just why he's being anointed king. You see, he adds a little bit. How many of y'all know that's kind of what prophets are notorious for? They, they get a word, hey, here's what you're going to go say, and then they go say it, and then they add quite a bit more, and then they leave, and that's part of the prophetic gifting. <laughs> gifting. Just kidding. It is, and so he comes, and he says it, and he includes this bit about Ahab. Now, here's the deal. Ahab's not even king anymore. Ahab is not really long gone, but he's gone for sure, but his house remains. And so, uh, and Jezebel's influence remains, which was the biggest issue with Ahab is that he couldn't actually lead. He was a leader who wasn't leading. He was a leader who was being led. He was a marionette whose strings were being pulled behind the scenes by a woman who, uh, who was incredibly wicked, incredibly evil. And so uh, what's important to get here is that 
God has a plan to deal with this. And so if you're in the room this morning and you're frustrated about political leadership or you're frustrated about lack thereof, or you're frustrated about the Jezebel spirit over this region or you're over this nation, or you're frustrated about, you know, whatever's going on in those places, understand this, that in the same way that the Lord was operating behind the scenes, it wasn't on the front page, it wasn't on the headlines, it wasn't making the evening news, but God had a plan and he was dealing with it. Enter Jacob. Now, I want to walk through three things about this anointing that I think are really important. The very first one is, he tells him, when you go to uh, Ramoth Gilead, walk, when you find the place where he is, bid him arise from among his brothers. Bid him arise. What does that mean? It means, tell him he's got to get up. Everybody's seating at, seated at this table. I don't know, maybe it was a, a lunch table and a, maybe it was a, a patio table. Maybe it was a war room strategy table because it was all captains and they were all there and know this, that at this particular point, the captains would have been gathered making battle strategies. Why? Because Hazael, the king of uh, the Arameans, was waging war against Ramoth Gilead. That's why they were gathered there to begin with, okay? So Ramoth Gilead is this town up in the northeastern territory of Gad, and one of the first main stops as uh, the people of God were being attacked from the east. And so as Hazael is coming in, the captains are gathering and planning on where their armies would be stationed and that sort of thing. So that's why he's there, and that's why the prophet has to go there. And when he tells him to get up, I felt like the Lord just dropped this thing in my spirit that like in a crowd, he was one of many. Even when that crowd is a crowd of captains, even when that crowd is a, is a place of prestige, it's a place of honor, it's a place of promotion, it's a place of, of, of power and influence. But even from that place, in order to be anointed, in order to, I'll say, receive the anointing God had for him, he had to get up. Now, I think this is interesting because this was a circle that you didn't get into easily. But saints, hear me this morning when I say this. In order to move up, you have to get up. In order to move up, you have to get up. Now, again, this we don't like. This isn't really a church where the Sunday morning message is for like you know. If you're kind of like, man, I don't even, I haven't read, I don't know this, I don't get anything you're talking about. Um, what I'd say to you is, uh, go to a greenhouse. You know what I'm saying? Talk to Pastor Kurt. Um, if you want to get baptized, talk to Pastor Kurt. Um, we'll baptize you like in next service. It'll be awesome. But. The deal is, I know that some of this is, seems like a little like advanced, maybe. Um, but the point is, I talk to this church like you're all captains. I talk to this church like you are all commanders of armies, like you all have a call of God on your life, and you have influence, and you have a destiny, and there's a purpose that you need to walk in in order to arrive where the Lord wants us. And so I believe with my whole heart that every single person in here, everybody who's called by the name of the Lord, that there's something on you that's absolutely imperative to the kingdom advancing in this region, okay? So I'm not gonna water that down. I'm not gonna be like, oh no, you can take the bunny trail. Nope, this is like black diamond trail, all right? Here we go. So you've gotta get up. 
well, Zach, I'm already leading this. I believe that there is an increase. We are living in a day of increase anointing. Not to make your life easier. Not to make your life better. You, a lot of preachers will preach increase like, oh, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to see it in your paycheck. You're going to see it in your driveway. You're going to see it in your square footage. I hope you do see it in all those places. I hope you tithe on it when you get it. <laughs> I hope you buy a few more chairs. But where I'm going to tell you the increase will definitely occur is in the area of anointing. Because the Lord is looking for folks who will be sold out to the advancement of his kingdom. Now, these captains were sold out to the advancement of an earthly kingdom, okay, that was disguised as the people of God, but had long since left the Father's agenda and had created their own. So when the Lord speaks and the prophet comes to anoint, he's calling up one of these captains, and I believe that in a room full of captains this morning, um, there are folks in here that if you will listen, the Lord is saying, arise. Arise from this place. Arise from this seat. Even though you've earned it, even though you've logged the hours, even though you carry a great influence, even though there, there's, a, there's honor and people know who you are, there's a reputation, but people listen when I talk and ba 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 Listen to the Lord. The next thing, he says, bid him arise from among his brothers and bring him to an inner room. Now, I love this, right? Because this is where, this is where worship leaders are like, mm, I feel a song coming on. Jamal's like, take me in to the... We, we love this. Oh, I know about the inner room. I know where this is. I know the inner sanctum of the Holy Spirit. Bring him into an inner room. Some anointings were public and some were private, depending on the nature and the timeline. But the point that we need to get here is that this wasn't just a get-up moment. It was also a get-in moment. So if you know me, I've never been a big fan. I shouldn't say never. There was a season in my life when I was a big fan of events. And, uh, and I, was, I was captain conference and captain, uh, you know, convention. And Ashley and I would go around and lead worship at all these things. And it was always about, like, hey, how awesome can we make this week or this weekend or this one night? And since then, probably sometime around transitioning into pastoring a church, uh, that thing started to go away. And it became replaced by, hey, you know what we need more than another conference is, like, a bunch of healthy Christians, that's what we really need. We need a bunch of healthy people filled with the Spirit of God who are listening for him, who are watching for him, and who are obedient when he speaks. And so um, the difference in that is not that you can't have both. We just had a phenomenal guys conference here. Ashley and I are going to lead worship at a women's conference in PA pretty soon. And, uh, and there's, there, there are still like such a, a huge part of this thing. And I'll say, when captains gather together, when people gather together to, to um, you know, hear the Lord and be edified and encouraged and strengthened and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's crucial. And again, that men's conference was so much of what we needed. The problem is, is that when, we, when we're in this sort of vein or this track of event to event, and when I say event to event, I, for some of us, that's just Sunday to Sunday. Sunday morning service has become your Christian event. And you come and you get dressed up and you're like ready and you, you put everything on and you, and you come in and you sing the songs and you jump up and down and all this stuff and you get hyped. 
but it doesn't actually move the needle on your health as a believer. So, uh, and if it does, it's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you know, to the beat, yeah. Uh, so the deal is this. When, when the anointing of the Lord comes, when it's a real anointing, it is not just a call to get up. It starts with a call to get up. As an altar call starts with a call to, well, in order to make it to the altar, you've got to first get up out of your chair, right? You have to first get up out of that place where you're seated among your brothers, among your sisters, okay? But once you're up, we have to get in. Come to an inner room, Elisha tells the prophet to tell Jehu. Bid him come into an inner room. This is huge. A lot of ministry, saints, a lot of ministry calls you up. Why? Because getting up is visible. Getting up means now you're the Saul that's a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. When we, when we honor, uh, when we, we say, oh, all the overseers in the room, stand up, all the under shepherds in the room, okay, all the whatever, SOS students stand. There's this like visible thing that happens when Jehu stands up from the table among the, okay, clearly I'm the one he's talking to. And yet, as public as that statement is of getting up, there's a private piece to this. Come into the inner room. Well, wait a minute, but all my guys are out here. You can't say anything to me that you can't say in front of them. But as this servant of Elisha points out, it's, uh, it's not really about that. It's that, yes, there's a public aspect of this, but there's a more important thing that happens in private. And to you who've uh, served in ministry, maybe to you who have uh, been really faithful and committed to ministries for decades before ever coming here, um, I do honor that. I, I thank you for getting up but again, if you were at Fireside Monday or any Fireside ever, you know that we really stress the six-month rule. What is the six-month rule? Anybody know? Raise your hand if you know what the six-month rule is. All across your hands, everywhere, all over. Still a lot of people that don't know. Interesting. Um, so here's the deal. The six-month rule is that coming into this church, the most important thing that you can do is receive from the Lord. It's not punch a clock it's not fill a position, even though we have a lot of positions we need filled. Even though this church is growing, and, and as it continues to grow, we, we uh, require an increased responsibility and maturity as folks are moving into ministry, feeling called, feeling led. But way before any of that ever happens, we're not the church that's going to hand you the, the, the spiritual giftings test and find out where you can serve. So on week three, you're already on a rotation. No, I get it. Statistically, that tends to keep us at our church longer. It tends to increase the retention rate. But here's the deal. More than we need you standing, visibly, audibly, we need you in the inner room. We need you in the holy place. We need you hearing from the Lord. We need you in the presence of God. Because anything that you have to offer, it comes from in there. It comes from... And some of you guys are like, is there actually a room back there he's pointing to? In there, down under here. No, I'm just kidding. 
There's no trap door or anything. No, there's nothing like that. That is a spiritual place, okay? That's a place where you meet with the Lord. And for a lot of people, it is at this altar. For a lot of people, it is those Tuesday nights. For a lot of folks, it's, it's the privacy of your own room after your husband leaves for work and your kids go to school and you get on your face and you say, Lord, is there something you want to tell me? Wherever you can yield, wherever you can really surrender yourself to the Lord is where you'll meet him. It's where he'll meet you and he'll begin to reveal to you what needs to take place in your life. Now, when you log the time in the inner room, coming back out, you have something to offer. Coming back out, you, you become that, that reflection, that image of God that this world so desperately needs and that our church so desperately requires. And so I wanna encourage you, if you stood up and you said, I've been standing up for 25 years, Zach. I've been standing up since I got saved in 1978. I've been standing up at the table because the prophet came in and said, arise. And so I rose. And now what? Now what? Now this. Come into the inner room. The goal of this was never to just stand up at a table where a bunch of people are sitting. That's, that's American church. That's, that's the, this like ridiculous obsession with leadership that we have here in the American church. If you go to other countries, they're, they're, it is not what it is here, okay? Like, there's, there's no issue with, like, honoring men and women of God who are leading, and there's also no obsession with everybody having a seat at every table. There's an understanding that no matter where I am, there's something that's supposed to be being poured into me and something I'm supposed to be pouring into. And, but here in this country, we're like, well, I read a book on leadership, so I should probably be able to lead a small group now, right? <laughs> Not until you unlearn everything you just read in the book. <laughs> well, I've been listening to a podcast, and I actually have an undergrad in uh, leadership. That's awesome. I did my, uh, I did, when I did seminary, I did it in worship leadership, thinking that I was just going to be a worship leader for the rest of my life. And I am. That's right. And, uh, but what's interesting is uh, at the seminary I went to, wor the worship leadership degree was not what I thought it was. It was not a degree in worship leadership. It was like a double major in worship and leadership. So I ended up with a lot of leadership, leadership classes. And I struggle with this stuff. I struggle with this stuff. Why? Because so much of it is taken out of corporate America. So much of it is taken out of like, like the, the, around the 1960s when corporate America started to get on the rise, marketing and advertising was, was exploding. And there was this this huge shift in the understanding of like what a CEO was and how an organization should be run. And so what happened is the church tragically, devastatingly did what the church is notorious for. We saw a trend and we said, let's get on that bus. And then the church shifted and we started looking at leadership the way the world looks at leadership instead of the way Jesus taught us what leadership is. And so it, it resulted in this big issue, but we're not really talking about that today. The point is, is that we've got to understand that anything that we can do to serve the kingdom, any way that we learn to steward our anointing comes from the inner place. It comes from the holy place. It comes from the presence of God. Okay? 
Like, I can sit down with you, and I can be like, well, you know, I want to just be mentored by a leader, or I want to be, you know, really nobody ever comes to me and says that for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but probably because I, I, I struggle with it. I'm like, no, you, you need to, who's your spiritual father, Zach? Who's your mentor? Who are you listening to? I'm listening to the Lord. I'm listening to the Lord, like you should be, more than you're listening to me or any other leader. We should be following the Lord. Download his podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's he saying about this nation, about this region, about the political climate? That's what matters. So a lot of ministry calls you up, but the Father calls you in. Next. Bring him into an inner room in verse 3 of chapter 9. And 2 Kings says, then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head. And say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And then open the door and run for your life. So as you know, maybe, uh, that flask of oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And we see, uh, we see alliteration and metaphorical use um, going all the way from, from the beginning, all the way throughout Scripture into the New Testament uh, and beyond, where we see the use of anointing oil, of olive oil, as the presence or the markation of the Holy Spirit. So this is a good time to talk about what even is the anointing, because some of you are like, I've been in churches where that was a scary thing. Yeah, so let's talk about it. When I say anointing, here's what I mean by anointing. I mean a specific measure of the Holy Spirit imparted for a specific time and purpose. All right, that's my working definition for you. The anointing, when I talk about the anointing, when I say Pastor Kurt is anointed to lead School of the Spirit, I believe with my whole heart, I've observed it, our leadership, our eldership has observed that heaven has imparted, the Father has imparted to Pastor Kurt and Jen a measure of the Holy Spirit specifically to lead the school of the Spirit, specifically to not just teach, but to lead an incredible group of instructors as they teach, to, to walk with students as they're learning and receiving and growing and maturing in their faith and in the Word of God. And it, it's, uh, there, there's a thing on him that lubricates that work to where it's not like intense striving and labor. It's like you kind of just do it. It like rolls off of you because it's kind of what the oil did. It kind of rolled off of you. It, it, it alleviates the friction of a square peg in a round hole. And it says, no, this thing fits. It wouldn't have fit without the oil. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it's so important that, you know, don't, don't make this a mystical thing. Don't make this creepy or spooky or weird. Uh, it's not a guru thing. It's just, a, it's just something that God does all the way through scripture when, when he would impart a measure of himself and say, hey, here's a guy that needs to do a thing. Here's a, a woman of God that, that needs to, uh, I'm calling into a purpose, and I'm going to give her a supernatural dose of what's required to do that. Because how many of you guys know we ought not be trying to figure out how to do supernatural things in the natural? Okay? Even if you can, you shouldn't. That's called taking what began in the spirit and finishing it in the flesh. All right, and Paul is very clear to the Galatians and several other New Testament churches that we just ought not do that, all right? We make a mess of things. So pour oil on his head. Here's the deal. Changing where you are doesn't change who you are, okay? Because 
you can basically, you can be the same guy you were at the captain's table just coming into the presence of God, and now you're just going to have goosebumps. Now you're just going to be the same old captain. You're going to be the same old Jehu, but now you're going to, you know, just have that feeling, have that emotion, have that hype, have that whatever that we receive when we come into the presence of God. But that's not really what changes you. Maybe temporarily, but it doesn't transform your life. You know what transforms your life? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. A good message doesn't transform your life. The Holy Spirit on that message will take care of business, okay? And I think for some of us in here, and we're trying to change our lives. Anybody been there? I've been there. I should raise both hands. Nubs, elbows. I've tried to change my life. It doesn't work. And even if it does, you just end up like a better version of bad. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. And I definitely don't want it for you. (laughs) What really transforms us is the Holy Spirit. Like really letting him in. It's not just us coming in. It's him coming in to us. And now I'm starting to get convicted. Now I'm starting to obey. Now I'm starting to submit. Now I'm starting to put to death things in my flesh. Now I'm starting to be sanctified. Now my life is changed. See, it's the oil of his spirit. See, Jehu was already a phenomenal military commander. He was already a captain. He already had the the warfare and the strategy. He already knew how to wield a sword and fist fight and kill a man with his bare hand. He already, I said I wasn't going to do too much of that rated R stuff. Um, I see people leaving with kids. I just want to apologize now. Um, But I, I do want to say that those things were there in the natural. The Lord didn't need him to check those things. He needed those gifts those talents, those skills that had been honed over years of his life to be baptized in a supernatural measure of wisdom and discernment and strength. And that's who God is. He's somebody that when you were knit together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made, it means that you're not rotten. You're not awful. You're not the scum of the earth just because you feel like it some days. You're not oh, a waste of a breath just because somebody told you that when you were a kid. No, you're none of those things because God doesn't make those things. Okay? Who you are is fearfully and wonderfully made. A big old mess of awesome stuff that the Lord can't wait to baptize in his spirit. Because once all those natural gifts that you have, all those incredible talents that maybe you were born with, maybe that came down through generations, you know, my dad was this and his dad was that and so I'm this and, you know, and I'm doing it the best that I can. That's awesome. Wait till you get a little oil on it. That's awesome. Wait till it goes under the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait till it becomes drenched in supernatural power, wisdom, discernment, all the things that are required. That changes who you are. Now we're accomplishing something for heaven instead of just a better version of something of this world. The task ahead of Jehu is not unlike the task ahead of us. It's a task that would require all of the skills that God's already given you. In fact, you know what I love about the Lord? I'm all saying it like it's the skills and the talents and the abilities, like it's only like the good stuff about you that the Lord wants to baptize. 
I'm a really good example of like the Lord covered also in his spirit the worst things about me and has turned them for good, all right? I got turned up, you know what I'm saying? Like, like my good stuff, I feel like my bad stuff went to 11, but the Lord is like, no, I'm going to use that too. No, no, no. Yeah, the enemy was trying to use it for this thing, but I got another thing, okay? So don't think that you need to get rid of that necessarily, okay? There are some things in our lives that um, are more like bondage, but I think of it like this. You know, in the New Testament, when we're told to take every thought captive, right? Isn't it interesting that as the Spirit inspires those words, it didn't come out sounding like this, abolish every thought, right? It doesn't say eradicate those things. It says take the thought captive. Now, in the Old Testament, if you go back and you watch as nations would invade nations, the smart kings did not just cut them all down. Unless the Lord said to, and then, you know, then the kings would say, okay, nobody gets out of here alive, and then they mow them all down. But even David, he would, he would take a, a rope, and he would measure out three rope lengths, and the third rope length he would let live. Why? Because when you take something captive, you put it to work. When you take thoughts captive, you put them to work. The things that Satan meant for evil, even the things rattling around upstairs in your brain, when those things come under the submission and the authority of the Holy Spirit, what starts to happen is everything Satan meant for evil, the Lord turns it for good. Okay? Interesting, right? Take it captive. So, where were we? I don't even know. So, pour oil on his head and then run. Now, Jehu came out to his servants after the guy flees in verse 11. Jehu comes out to his servants uh, of his master, and one said to them, is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? See, that's kind of the taste that prophets a lot of times leave in people's mouths. They're like, who's this crazy guy? And uh, I love this. And Jehu says to them, you know very well the man and his talk, right? Okay. But watch this. They said, it's a lie. Tell us now. And he said, thus and thus, he said to me, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel And they hurried, each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. Basically, Jehu comes out of this room in a little bit of a shock. And I can understand that. Some of you guys who have been called of the Lord, uh, some of you guys who have a call on your life or there is an anointing already and you've, you've received it. You, you were obedient to get up. You were obedient to go in and you let the Lord cover you in his spirit. There's an anointing on you But there's also this shock of, wait a minute, like five seconds ago, I was just a captain at a table with the captains. I don't even know who I am now. I don't even know how to say that out loud. Because in case you hadn't noticed Elisha or Elisha's servant who came to do this for him, there actually already is a king of Israel. There actually already is a guy on a throne. We're not even getting to him yet. But the point is, is that I don't even have a language to describe or articulate exactly what it is that the Lord's called me to do. I love this place. I love this place because it marries the humility of our reality, like our understanding of who we are and what we're capable of by ourselves. It and it and it's on this collision course with what God has just said about us. And if somehow if we could stay in a little bit of this place and just appreciate it, 
Now, it doesn't mean we can stay there and not go on to do what he's called us to do, but it means that there's somehow this incredible balance of humility, like, wait a minute, I'm just a guy, I'm just a captain, I'm one of these guys. If we cannot lose that, if we can walk with that, if we can carry that, that um, hey, yeah, I'm just a guy the Lord chose to anoint, that's it. The only thing special about me is what's on me and what's in me. It's not the me, it's the him. And Jehu comes out like this, and the guys, they're kind of bantering back and forth about, hey, what was that all about? Here comes, we're all sitting around here having lunch, making plans, and here comes this crazy guy, and he tells you to get up and go back into this room. If you can appreciate this from the other captain's perspective, it's interesting, right? And so he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said something about this, that, and the other thing, Ahab, this and that. And then he said, oh, you're going to be king over Israel. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? And the table gets quiet. Everybody's like, whoa. See, here's what happens when you're at a table full of captains. These men understand honor. They understand authority. They understand orders when they're given. And these men immediately respond to that anointing. I want to be a church like that. I want to be a church like that table of captains. I don't, I don't want to be the church that when the guy comes out of the room, out of his time with the Lord and says, hey, I feel like here's what the Lord just put on my heart. I don't want to be the church that sits around and says, who told you you could be that? Who even was that guy? Did you check his ID? I want to see a badge. We've done this. As believers, we're like, that's our first go-to. It's like, who do you think you are? Even when we hate the guy who's on the throne, you know what I'm saying? We're like, it can't be you. If it was you, it could have been me. But it wasn't you. It was him. Oh, man. We got to get better at that. Can we be a table of captains that just honors the anointing on each other? Can we recognize when the Lord calls somebody and just says, hey, I see the Lord all over that guy. And I, I've, I've heard about it. A lot of people, it, people used to come to me to say things like that, like, hey, should that guy really be doing that? And, you know, I saw him. He, he cut me off in the Dunkin' Donuts line. That was the same guy, the guy that you gave him. It was Mark Devine. I'm just kidding. It wasn't Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark would never. He'd buy your coffee in the Dunkin' Donuts line. Uh, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Like, like how wrapped up our flesh is, how invested our flesh is. Well, why can't I? Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get that? We don't have anything good to say about it. We don't have anything good to say about it. And if you think, if you stop and think and shut up and listen to what Jamal said this morning, maybe that's why you weren't the one called in. Because you weren't ready to honor the one who would be. Maybe Jehu was the only captain at the table who would have been willing to honor the other guys if they had been the ones to be called in. So stop struggling with titles. Stop struggling with positions. Stop struggling with authority and anointing and mandate and start responding to it. These, these captains get up. They start taking off their outerwear and laying it down underneath this guy. And they say, and they say this, Jehu is king. 
That's called coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Now, if one of those guys had been like, nah, he's not my king. Joram's my king. That's called coming into agreement with the world. But what the Father says is what matters at the end of the day. Okay, so I'm going to end this right here. This is interesting. So the next verse, yeah, you can, yeah, thanks. Verse 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. That's where we're going to end today. Um, Joram was the king of Israel. And this is interesting because Joram is a descendant of, of Ahab. And a couple generations removed there, but he's in the bloodline of Ahab. And Joram is the reason that Israel is in the situation it's in. Hazael, this Aramean king that has waged war against the people of God, that was a tool. In fact, in fact, it was the man of God who went and acknowledged Hazael would become king of those people and everything that he would do to the people of God in attacking them. Our focus is usually on those battle lines, isn't it? It's usually on wherever we're being attacked. It's usually on, on what, whatever's come up against us. But I want to reel you all the way back to like a, a month ago when we first started talking about John 10 and Jesus as the shepherd. And the first thing Jesus asks in this story, he says, he says, if anybody comes in by any other way, then they're not the shepherd. They're either a thief or a robber. See, what happens here is not Jehu saying, okay, well, I'm gonna start by going to fight this battle. No. The second he is anointed, he leaves from that place with a needlepoint target in his sights. He actually, Ramoth Gilead was the front lines of the battle. And he leaves, as a military captain, he leaves the front lines of the battle right where the people of God were being attacked, right where the Arameans were coming against him. He leaves the front lines and drives like a madman, the Bible says, to Jezreel. We're going to get that in maybe another message. But the point is, why? Because the real issue was not Hazael. The real issue was not the Aramean army. The real issue was not what was happening on the front lines. It's what was happening on the sidelines. And he goes, and the Bible says he conspires against Joram. Why? Because when he came under the anointing, the Lord showed him where the real problem was. It's not Hazael. It's the weak place in the wall that Hazael came in. It's the weak place in the leadership of this nation, how the enemy got in. Let's go take care of that. And Jehu's anointing moves him from a place of warfare to a place of assassination. Now, we talk a lot about warfare. There's a lot of emphasis on warfare. You know, as a Pentecostal church, um, you know, we're not slow to acknowledge 
uh, that you know the enemy is behind a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of stuff that, um, a lot of a spiritual attack and that sort of thing. And and I believe with my whole heart there's a place for spiritual warfare, and we need to be faithful to it when God calls us to it. I believe it can also become a distraction. I believe the front lines, the battle lines of that warfare are sometimes a symptom of where the real enemy is, somewhere closer to home. Sometimes we're praying prayers and we're all outward focused trying to take care of, you know, we're interceding and praying and, and calling down heaven on all sorts of, of big things out there. When the word is very clear, judgment has to begin in the house of the Lord. Judgment has to begin with the leadership of Israel. It has to begin here with my people. And so Jehu gets up, goes in, receives the anointing, and sets out with a target, a much smaller target, with much smaller margins. He sets out leaving his machine gun behind and picking up a sniper rifle instead. Because there was one thing at the heart of this that needed to be taken care of. And the anointing saints gets us hyper-focused. It gets us, it gets us narrowing our mess and chaos of, of battle and emotion and and distraction and confusion and all this stuff. Sometimes we feel like we're just in a cloud of things that, well, I don't know whether to pray against that today or pray against this or pray for this or pray for that or whatever. You know what you need? The Holy Spirit. Because when that anointing is dumped out over us, it's like our vision goes like this. And now we find ourselves looking through the crosshairs at exactly where the battle really is. Would you stand with me, saints? I believe you might be in here this morning and maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but you've been wasting time, wasting energy, wasting resources in warfare when what the Lord really wants to anoint us and appoint us for is a much smaller target. It's funny, when we do marriage counseling, this is one of those things. It comes out in other words, but it comes out pretty, pretty quickly like this. You know, somebody's willing to sit there and give the laundry list of every issue that their spouse has, right? I never do that, of course. But, you know, I never have anything bad to say about Ashley ever. But it's so quick that we are, are willing to see the 27 things, and I've got them all annotated here with bullet points and outlines, examples. Please see Exhibit B on, you know, why he does this and she does this, and I brought in some expert witnesses to corroborate, and we, we've got all of this stuff. It's everywhere. We don't even know where to begin with all of their issues until the question gets turned and said, but is there, it's possible. Could it, could it be? that there's something that the Lord wants to address in you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, it's not 27 things. It's one thing. Oh, shoot. I've been dealing with a spirit of rejection. Oh, shoot. It's actually abandonment that's, oh, no, it's just a critical thing that I've carried. It got passed down through generation. Oh, that's just the, well, that's kind of easy. How about like 
one yielding session or one bullet to the head of that thing. And all of a sudden, those 27 things, they just kind of go away. That's how good the Lord is. That's how real the application of the anointing is in our lives when we're operating by the leading of his spirit. And so I wanna encourage you saints, as you go from this place today, go knowing this, that for such a time as this, you are carrying an anointing. There is something absolutely vital to the kingdom that is on you. And if you will be faithful to steward it, some of you guys, you're, you're still in that shock space of like, yeah, it's there, but I don't really know. I don't really know about it. I don't, I'm too nervous to tell anybody. Well, don't be, because the people at that table need you to be walking in it. The people at this table need you to be walking in it. Amen? So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for a captain's table in this room. I thank you for your sons and daughters here. God, so many of whom have just been so faithful and so committed. God, I thank you for the folks who over years have been faithful to stand up when you say, get up. Folks who've been so faithful to, to press in when you've invited them into that, that intimate place with you. Um, but Lord, we wanna steward the anointing. We wanna respond to the anointing. We, want, we don't, we don't wanna just walk around and say, I'm anointed for this, I'm anointed for that, I'm the new king in town. No, God, we wanna, we wanna turn our attention away from what has distracted us for so long. God, we wanna shift our attention to where the battle really is. God, I pray that we would be willing, unafraid and bold, Lord, to, to drive a stake into the heart of where the problem really is. God, if it's something in us, if it's something in our homes, if it's uh, something with our, our family, something that we've intentionally turned a blind eye to and have become really critical of everything else around us, God, I pray that you would wash that thing in us. Open our eyes to see what we need to see so that we can see your kingdom advance in us first and then through us. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you. We give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.